You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30-06, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this podcast where today we have a straight-up BS session. We're going to be talking with my buddy James Vandenberg. And uh, James is a straight-up bow hunting nut, just like myself just like you are and we talk about his western hunts this year we talk about life we talk about bow hunting he's a fellow iowan so uh um we kind of hunt the same area uh the the eastern side of the state of iowa and uh not much to say man it's just a straight up bs session but before we get into today's podcast man we got to do a commercial and i want to check my I want to check my schedule here real quick. I should have done this before, but uh, we're going to do a commercial for the average conservationist. Now, he just sent me a new hat, my man Marcus. He is actually the host of the Average Conservationist podcast here on the Sportsman's Nation uh, and he sent me this new hat and it's the, it just says average conservationist. It's gray and black and has like gold lettering on a patch with three stars. It is my new favorite hat and I wear it all the time. It's a badass hat. The, the new logos and the new, uh, t-shirts and hoodies that have come out 
are really awesome. They're very comfortable. They're well-fitting t-shirts. And uh, if you guys want to find out more information about the average conservationist, their, their apparel lineup, I'm telling you right now, not only does it look cool, it's not, it's not, uh, there's a word I'm looking for. It's not affliction-esque like some of those other like MMA brands are. I don't like that. It is a, it's a cleaner look. Uh, the logos are awesome. The hats fit well. The hoodies are awesome, and, and all of it fits well. And uh, av- theaverageconservationist.com. Listen to the podcast, The Average Conservationist. It, they are a 2% for conservation certified company, just like the Sportsman's Nation is. And on top of it, uh, they give 10% of all of their profit to a conservation network or uh, cause of some sort. So, they, before they even put their money in their own pockets, they take 10% out and donate it. So that is something really awesome that I, th- I feel like a lot of companies in the hunting community and the hunting space need to do more of. Um, Marcus and his brand, they're walking the walk and they're talking the talk. And uh, man, that's uh, why I'm working with uh, The Average Conservationist. So go check out theaverageconservationist.com and uh, sit back. I don't care if it's nine in the morning, crack a beer and enjoy this BS session. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, we have a returning guest, Mr. James Vandenberg. James, what's up, man? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I tell you what, you know, this early November kind of had me a little worried with all this warm weather that kind of came in. And luckily, I tagged out before the cold front hit, so I really didn't have to dress up in my heavy thermals and my heavy outerwear this year. And I'll tell you what, it, I didn't mind it at all. Uh, I agree. And I was following your post. You kept saying, you know, the rut still goes on even when it's warm. And that's so true. Uh, the only problem is, is we had like 10 consecutive days of south wind. Oh, man, that um, killed me. Which in general, yeah, I like to think that we're going to get a little northwest, a little southwest, and you're going to get to rotate around where you go sit. But we just had a big string of south winds, which I don't know what it did for you, but it definitely kind of pigeonholed me on where I yep. could sit. Or, and it had me carrying a climber and or a sticks on a stand to go somewhere to a different spot. Yeah, I, I you know... And I don't know what it's like on the properties that you hunt, but my main farm, I've been there for like eight or nine years now. And oh, maybe even more like 2013, holy, or 2007. So shit, 13 years. And I, I, I know where I want to be on certain wind directions. And when you have so many winds out of the same direction, man, I just found myself being like, okay, I can't over hunt this spot because if this bedding, if I blow this bedding area up and these does split, then the buck I want to kill, he goes with them. Right. So I just had to like, I I found myself playing off and almost being on a couple hunts way less aggressive than I normally would be. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. You get that, you get that feeling of walking the same way into the same stand every day um, in between the worrying about kind of over hunting it and then just the thought of, huh, I still haven't seen my shooter. Like I need to move somewhere where he's going to be, yeah. which is in general, not the right thought, but it's a thought that if you sit in a spot two or three times, you definitely will get, um, yeah, it was just a little bit weird. It was 
so cold in October. Yeah. You just if you got on Instagram, yeah. everybody was killing a big buck in October, and I feel like if you're like the Drurys or the Lakoskis, and and you really really have it set up, and you have kind of these destination food sources. When I grew up, we kind of hunted some places that had those, and I always thought the last week of October was the best time because all of a sudden, kind of your mature deer would come out in daylight to these food sources just to give a sniff to make sure nothing was was going haywire yet. And now, at least from what I can tell where you hunt and kind of the farms I hunt, I'm not on those destination food sources. I'm kind of in the in-between areas. Yep. And so now I don't even really bother hunting in October. Even though it was super cold, I, I know they're not they're not running at noon in October. Right. And I kind of need them to be running at noon, quite frankly. <laughs> I need them to be kind of covering ground with where I hunt. And so, yeah, we watched, I watched all that cold weather by. I got all pumped up to hunt the first week of November. It's like it's going back to the 60s, which is yeah. – Great for keeping your toes warm, but it hurts morale a little bit. Yeah, that's a fact. Well, one thing that I've kind of done, and I want to talk about your Western adventures this year too, but one thing that I've found myself doing is picking up a Western hunt during the first you know, week or th- the first couple weeks of October to almost go out and have that fun, but at the same time, stay away from my best spots because I am... One of those, I'm one of those guys who throughout the years, you know, if I don't, if I have a weekend free, I'm not the guy who sits on a field edge and and kind of waits. I go get it. And I, I, I've, I'll go to my best stand on October 7th. You know what I mean? So I, I add, I add those Western trips in there and this year, hell, I didn't even make it to my main farm until the afternoon. And I think of November 2nd. So it was fresh and it was awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm following your exact wavelength. I think next year I'm going to burn some antelope points, which would be like a first week or two of October hunt. Um, I, I've done a lot of the elk hunting, which always is kind of the first couple weeks of September. And then, yeah, you just you start getting antsy, especially with damn social media. Yeah. You just, oh, man, they must be moving. I mean, that thought goes through your head. And it, it is in certain places, and, and this year you definitely could see that with the cold weather we had in October. But like I was telling somebody, or somebody was telling me, I guess, it's like, you know, it, it's just, it, it's still not on yet. I mean, it's yeah. not on. And, and you know when it's on, when you start seeing the deer at 8, 9, 10, 11 a.m., 2 in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember this year it was uh, – I went to a spot on a Thursday, which I think was like the 29th of October – and I, I drive about 45 minutes to the farm I hunt, and no deer, dead deer on the highway, none on the 29th. And I went back on the 1st, which was a Sunday, and that was kind of my first week I was going to start hunting. And on the morning of the 1st, going there, there were six dead bucks in that same 40-mile stretch. And so, I mean, something kind of turned on like a light, at least in uh, in between here in Mount Pleasant, Washington, Henry, Johnson County. I mean, driving those roads, yeah. uh, all of a sudden deer were dead on the road. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So let's, uh, let's put whitetail on pause a second and, uh, let's talk about Wyoming or not Wyoming. Did you go to Wyoming this year? Or where'd you go for your elk? I, I went to, I went to Wyoming this year. I, I had been several years ago, um, on a, on a draw tag on a unit that took, uh, I believe four points. And my brother is a state trooper in the state of Wyoming and he, he, he lived there. And so me and my dad went together and we both killed bulls. And so then like we were talking about off air. I mean, the point creeps all of a sudden, like when I, when I killed that bull right. three or four years ago, I thought, 
I'll sit out a year and then I'll come back and get the general tag with a point or two. And now it's like running away so much to where now it's two points plus that special tag, which now they change from a thousand bucks to like 1400 bucks. Yeah. And it's just getting so expensive. But I, I burned two points this year and went general in Southwest Wyoming and uh, took a buddy who had never killed an elk before. And my brother killed and my buddy killed. Um, and I didn't kill. And we, my wife was actually opening a business. So I, I cut the trip short by two days, just trying to get husband of the year award. Um, <laughs> so we were only out there for basically five and a half days, which for people who haven't done it, you just, especially going to a little bit of a new spot to me, my brother had been there, but you really need, I mean, it like takes three or four days to really get your bearings on where you're going to hunt them at. Yeah. Um, let alone then to get in within bow range. So it's just, I've kind of decided in my head, like, I've got the work flexibility. My wife loves me. My kids are getting old enough to where it's not just a complete drag on my wife. And so it's like, you know, I just, I got to kind of commit seven to 10 because yeah. inevitably those four or five day trips, as awesome as they are, they just, I don't think they probably give you as good a success rate as we'd like to think. Well, I'll tell you this, man, your crew, three guys walking away with two bulls seems pretty, oh, pretty legit. We were in out. And we, and we were talking about we were talking about earlier i mean we were sleeping in grizzly country um my brother <laughs> had a monster grizzly he black bear hunts in this area and he had i mean i'll have to send you the picture after this but he had a, a grizzly on camera on his black bear bait that was just like one of those images that's just seared in your head on i mean just looking at it and, and he took it to the dnr and, and the dnr basically said it was like a sub-adult male and i was just like sub-adult like this thing was a 500 pound bear at least it looked like it and it looked like just that classic thought of if this thing took one swipe at you like your head would just pop off i mean you're done huge <laughs> neck huge shoulders here it is on his black bear bait and it's like we're literally sleeping like 800 yards as a crow flies from that so but here's the catch. It's like a lot of those places also have elk. Um, the grizzlies don't eat all the elk. Yeah. They maybe eat some of the humans, but they don't eat all the elk. And so we were in high elk numbers. We saw elk every single day. Um, but even when you're in good elk spots, I, I've been out five or six years now. I mean, to go do it with archery tackle, to put one, an arrow through one's lungs or heart and have it expire, it's just, it's not easy, yeah. uh, even in the, the really good areas. So, it's fun. It's a challenge, and it's completely different than whitetail hunting. That's why I love it. Yeah. So, I, you know, we had a little conversation before we started recording, and I was talking to you about this year. I I was I was getting really excited to cash in all, like seven points for Wyoming for elk, and I have oh, I had a, a couple units picked out, but then I was talking to a guy, and he's like. Well, yes, last year, those number of points would have worked out, but point creep, I guess, like you were saying, has hit Wyoming fairly hard. And now I'm not so sure if I'm going to be able to get onto the units that I wanted to get on with seven points. And, and I feel like seven points is a lot, man. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. You waited a long time. I mean, think about that. Think if you could only go hunt your whitetail farm in Iowa once every seven years. I mean, you wouldn't just go shoot a booner every year. I mean, you need kind of that learning curve and this point creep in all these states yeah. is making it to where one, it's expensive. Um, it's becoming very expensive. I, 
five years ago, I had an older friend of mine that was a hunting mentor, and he just said, you know, rich man, or I mean, he said hunting is going to become a rich man's game. And I remember thinking at the time, what do you mean? And he talked about like Europe, and but obviously you've seen this with like whitetail land in Iowa, yep. um, and then obviously now you think of these point creeps, and there's all this public land. I was thinking this before we got on the phone. It's like all this public land, but if I can't draw the elk tag, like it's a little bit less utilized, at least by me, it will be. Um, And and you're seeing that in all those states, Idaho, just a couple days ago, I know cut their non-resident tags down to 10%. And it's, it's the reason my brother took a state trooper job in Wyoming is because he wanted to be able to elk hunt every year. And he kills a bull or two every year between Idaho and Wyoming. And he pays 26 bucks. So we get the perks of the whitetail hunting here if you live out there, but it's definitely getting hard for us non-residents to go out and get tags. Um, and it makes it paramount to where you better understand the various draw regs of every state because yeah. if you just kind of play one state, you're just completely backed into a corner. Yeah, and that's what I've that's what I've I've found out because. So I've I've basically been putting all my chips into Wyoming, and then I go to Colorado for my basically over-the-counter tag every year. But what I've found out yep. is unless you know somebody, which I kind of do, but, man, we were hunting at 11.5, 11.6, and you try to do that six, seven days in a row, walking a mile straight up, it kills you. Yep. And I don't want to act oh, like yeah. a pussy here, but, man, it just – I'm 40 years old now, and it beats the piss out of you every day. You know, yeah, yeah. You do it for four or five, six days, and yeah. you get. I remember the first year I went out, we did 78 miles in six days. And I was in, I mean, really good shape, but my joints hurt so much. Like yeah. by day five or six, just like, man, I don't want to go walk another five miles. And one thing with elk hunting is, as soon as your morale and your head goes that way. You are completely done. Yeah. We, there's a joke with some of the guys I, I've hunted with and the guys that I know that elk are always 100% of the time, they're one drainage farther than you physically think you can go to. And I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, whether, whether you're like a super badass or you're just a regular guy, you know, I, I don't think our, our efforts aren't that different. And so we all go in and we all take the same spines and we all get to the same ridges because we know at some point you get to this thought of, well, if I go much further, I can't get an elk out. Because that's the whole back end of the story when you kill one. Right, right. And inevitably, it's almost always when you stop there, at least in the six years I've done it, where you glass and it's like down one more nasty chute and climbing another 1,100 feet up. Look, there's elk on the top of that ridge. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to come up with that decision on, well, am I going to go do this? Am I going to sleep in here? How will we get it out? How will we keep the meat cold? And as soon as your mind kind of won't instantly commit to that, in my opinion, it just gets really hard to kill an elk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, I've done Colorado, I've done Idaho, and now I'm excited for Wyoming. And depending on, I think I'm just going to go to a unit that accepts seven points. I really don't care really what unit anymore. I just you know, schedule the time, get a, get a hunt in Wyoming under my belt. And I know it's going to be seven years or worth of points, but I am, I'm ready to go hunt, uh, another big game species in, uh, in Wyoming. And I got some, I got some deer points. I got some antelope points, uh, too. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. But at, uh, 
and that but then and that's september right and now we're talking about these hunts yep. that we want to try to do in october and it sounds like you you wanted to do um antelope i'm i'm in this groove of where i'm getting re- you know uh south dakota mule deer and uh so let yep. me let me ask you this are you going back to wyoming for antelope i've got points in wyoming and i have points in colorado but once again, I'll probably just make it a trip to go see my brother. Um, he's going to have his first baby. So I was kind of, kind of planning on around, but it's that same general thought you're having. I'm just like, man, I don't really do much in October and I don't like committing my 10 whitetail days to October. So if I get time or get the flexibility from work and life, um, those hunts are awesome. I mean, I, I thought about South Dakota. I have two or three South Dakota points. Um, I've got a buddy that lives there and does really, really good whenever he draws a rifle tag. And then he's been in the Badlands, which is that the part of South Dakota you've been is kind of far West. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's two, there's two units really. There's the East river and West river. So I've West river. Yeah. yeah. So I've hunted basically across in my last two years across the whole West river. I don't want to say North and South, but right along the center of yeah. that off the interstates and whatnot, that's where I've spent yep. most, you know, most of my, my time in the, the furthest Southwest area along, you know, and then just Northeast of all that. So yeah, man, yeah. it's, uh, but I, I'm trying, I do all that with bow, right? So I'm not, yep. I'm not necessarily into the whole rifle gig right now. I know I will be at some point, but, Right now, I'm trying to I'm trying to do everything the hard way while my knees still uh, can do what they're doing. Yeah, I, I've yeah, and so am I. I've actually never shot anything in my life with a gun. I have I have yet. Well, I've killed one white tail of a muzzleloader, I guess, but the other ten or eleven of them that are in my garage and and in my room are all bow kills. So. I, I talk like I know what I'm talking about with rifle hunting, but I don't. Um, I just what I what I've looked at is like, like just logistically, the logistics of this gets so hard, and I love going out there and just getting my ass kicked and and maybe not I, I, that doesn't bother me, but it's like logistically, it's like if I can only do three days, like what kind of odds am I really gonna? Right. So that's where I've kind of looked at some of these rifle offshoots, um, and really like I have no endeavor to ever rifle hunt elk i don't have any endeavor to ever rifle hunt mule deer quite frankly it's more of like just an antelope thing um, yeah i don't know why but yeah. it is for me <laughs> so let's uh did after your elk hunt this year did you do any other western hunts nope so we were out there we went early this year because my brother had drawn a good mule deer tag so we were out there like the seventh or eighth through the 12th 13th and then came home. Yeah, we got to pack two elk out. So it, it was definitely a successful trip. I just, I didn't ever draw back. I, I made a bad mistake early in the trip and could have shot a, a raghorn and didn't. Because um, we were in a lot of elk and we were seeing elk every day. And we ended up seeing two really big bulls. And I spent four days attempting to get within bow range. But these things were like living on the face of Mount Everest. And it was like... <laughs> legitimately dangerous to try getting to where they were um but no so yeah i was done the 13th and then really didn't whitetail hunt until november 1st sunday the first is when i really uh started at it um and like we were talking about the weather it ended up changing i was planning on hunting the whole first week in november and when the weather switched i kind of switched my personal schedule and kind of waited till that following weekend which was the 7th 8th 
and then I think I killed mine on the 12th, but uh, was following along with your adventures, and I mean, I, I was seeing a lot of action, and ended up getting one killed at like 10.30 in the morning, and a complete downpour on the 12th. Nice. Well, let's talk about that a second. Um, so, going into 2020, um, yep. you, you hunt southeastern Iowa, right? That's where... Yep. Yep. Yeah, so I... Yeah, I grew, I grew up in Keokuk, so very far southeast, and then now me and you both live Iowa City, Cedar Rapids, and yep. yeah, I basically hunt, I mean, Washington, Keokuk, Henry counties now, and, and one thing that's been hard is I really haven't hunted a farm for seven years like you have. It, yeah. I feel like ever since I, football's been done, I've got my falls back, uh, and I really just, I, I kind of bounced around, and I've had permission here, and then I, I run into a bunch of guys, so I quit hunting that place, and then I get a lease here and then the guy wants to ratchet up the price. And so I've, I've done a little bit of bouncing, but this year was a completely new farm actually. Um, but it was one I, I, I knew was good because I had known some people that hunted the general area. And so I had three or four deer that I thought were just no brainer shooters, um, which was a lot, quite frankly, for what I was used to. Um, and, and I ended up killing one of them. The, the story basically goes, I, I, I hunted four or five times, saw good action. I, I really like hunting till like, I really like hunting like 7 a.m. to like 2. And I kind of don't hunt the afternoons in the rut. Uh, one, because I'm, uh, I have to get my kids from daycare at 4.30. So it's not even an option right now. And I just, I don't know, my farm's set up for that rut activity and they they seem to be really good between 8.30 and 1.30. Yeah. Um, th- that's where I've had the most luck in these kind of bedding area travel corridor farms. And anyway, uh, almost killed the biggest buck I had on camera. Actually, I went and I sat on the ground. Um, I only had three stands up on this property, and I, I really needed more. And so anyway, I, there was an area I really wanted to get into, and with these south winds, I couldn't get in there where I'd hung the stand. So I thought, you know, there's this thick kind of brush row. I'm going to get in there on the ground. And I had it perfect. I was in the exact perfect spot, but it was almost – it was too perfect. I was, I was basically sitting in, like, a, a strip of, like, thick, like, willow, like, I mean, just the thickest, nastiest stuff where you really couldn't shoot more than – 10 or 15 yards, but there was just this one main trail in front of me. And then I knew there was one main trail kind of perpendicular to that on the, on the West side of me. So I got obviously East of the North South trail and I got North of the East West trail. And I'm I'm sitting there kind of in this corner thinking that they're going to either come North and South right here off to my right, or they're going to be East and West 20 yards in front of me. And, And long story short, I saw a lot of deer that morning. I could have shot a couple bucks from the ground, which I thought would have been so cool. I had to, I had like a 120 inch eight pointer that I had to look at like four or five times. Cause they look so much bigger on the ground. Oh, absolutely. And this thing was like, he was like at 11 yards. And I was like, is that the buck? I think it is like, should I be? And I, long story short, I'm sitting there though. And it's like eight 30. And all of a sudden I hear a deer and it's coming directly from my right shoulder, which is, west i'm looking to the south and i i kind of got ready but i knew this deer was not coming in a good spot because he was walking directly east directly at me and i was not really set up to shoot and i I didn't move i knew it was close and out of the corner of my eye like it's seven yards i can just see this 
180 inch deer. Um, and he doesn't have my wind and I'm kind of tucked behind a tree, but he knew something was up. He was almost so close that even without my wind, I thought he, and I heard him stop and I'm just looking and I can see he's got this crab claw, which was a real giveaway thing. So out of the corner of my eye, like looking through my eyebrows, I can just see him and Long story short, he jumped back 20 yards. I turned and drew, but where he jumped back to, he was in all this brush, and I couldn't shoot. And he ended up not knowing really what was going on and got out of there. But it was bum- I was bummed just because if I would have had to stand there, I think it would have been a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, so fast forward a couple of days, the, the 10th or the 12th, I can't remember what day it was. Whatever day you posted, something's going to happen today because that's how we connected on this. And I could hunt till 1030 because of work. Um and it was pouring rain that whole morning, and every 15 minutes I saw a buck, and I was freezing. It was like 41 degrees and raining. I only wore a rain gear top. I didn't wear bottoms. That was dumb <laughs> by me. But I just I, I kept telling myself I got to make it till 10:30. I got to make it till 10:30. I kind of got this policy that every time I leave early, I tend to screw up a big buck somewhere. So I just I stayed to my time, and I, I'd seen probably 10 bucks just cruising, nothing big. And all of a sudden I look and coming right to me was what I thought was a really big, heavy horned buck. And I knew it was a shooter immediately. And he was coming on this trail right underneath me. And I drew when he was 50 yards away, he walked directly underneath me. I mean, he was five yards when I shot him and he was still quartering to me coming at me, but he was so close. I just, I knew it was time to shoot him and I shot and he jumps and he runs and basically I could just see blood just pumping out. I mean, everywhere. And he stopped at like 65 yards. And I just had this thought of, you know, if that was blood, I saw he's got to be dead. And right then he reared up and tipped over and I started shivering. You know how that goes right. and shaking. And I'm, I was partly cold and partly pumped. And I thought I had just shot this random super heavy horned deer. And I walk over and as soon as I grabbed him, I thought, wait, this is not a random deer. I have 50 trail cam pictures of this deer he was just so much bigger in person um, than he looked in trail cam pictures. And one thing I, you can probably speak to this, but different farms obviously carry different genetics. And this farm definitely carries some heavy horn genetics. And just, you would have never said looking at trail cam pictures of this deer that he's going to have 50 inches of mass. Um, but he does. I mean, he's got six inches basically all the way out on both sides. And so when you see him in trail cam pictures, you say, okay, that's a little heavier horned deer, but he's kind of short tine. Well, what it ended up being is a really heavy horned deer that had decent tine length that gets kind of hidden by the mass. So I was pumped to kill him, and he was a lot bigger in person. And uh, I kind of joked to you, I hadn't killed a deer since my daughter was born. So I was on a, I had killed some elk. I've had some good elk hunting success. And every time I kill an elk, I don't kill a deer. So I broke my little two year deer curse. Uh, this year with a good one awesome well that's awesome dude uh so i want to kind of go backwards a second and ask you about this new farm that you were acquired like yeah what month did you did you get it get access to it august august end of august okay middle of august so yeah so what did you do at that point to start setting that farm up in order to have it ready for you know hunting season yeah so it's a farm that is kind of a, I'll call it a funnel. I mean, it, it doesn't have a lot to it. So it's got, it's got some grass. It's got the neighbors kind of have crops or across this creek, there's some crops. But it's a little bit pigeonholed on, 
I mean, if you looked at it on an aerial, you would just say like, well, I don't know where I'm going to hunt. But when, when you get there, there's a couple different options. And long story short, my, my first thing always is, is, okay, where are the deer generally going to move from an aerial? Because I think if you look at aerials enough, you can tell. I mean, they like hugging points. They like hugging rivers. They like hugging creeks. I mean, there's just certain things that tend to be true, whether you're hunting on the Des Moines River, the English River, the Skunk River, the Iowa River, the Cedar River, uh, whatever. I mean, creeks, rivers, deer like them. And, and so this one has a creek on it, and – I basically go dump a bunch of corn and I do kind of mineral as just like a, let's just get a, a canvas of what's here. And I did that kind of in four quadrants of the property. Um, what's funny is basically, I mean, if you think of the four quadrants where I killed this deer is it was kind of my, my number one quadrant I would have picked, but the number two quadrant was the one where if you looked at an aerial, you would never say that's where you'd want to go hunt. And I thought that's been kind of interesting on this farm. But th that's where I started um, kind of limited stand placement. I mean, it's not big enough to where I can just put up st 10 stands. And so it's, it's, it's one of those deals where I kind of knew where the stands were going to be just in general from looking at it. But it's is it 50 yards this way or 50 yards this way? Or do I want to sit on this trail or this trail? And I'm kind of a firm believer that you really got to hunt it, especially there's not really any topography on this farm. I mean, it's just basically flat besides the creek. And so it's, uh, it's one of those deals where outside the creek, there's really nothing. Uh, I don't want to say special about it because the farm's good, but it, there's nothing that defining to it. Right. Um, it's not like a huge ridge runs runs through it, and there's yeah, not like all these drainages. In, yeah. When I hunted in southern Iowa, I mean, there's a lot of fingers and drainages, and you could you could really kind of tell like if they're gonna pop out, they they gotta kind of funnel through this finger type deal. And this is more of like flood ground, um, and it, it it holds deer deer move through it. But when you kind of stand there and look, it's it's hard to justify why a deer is going to walk 50 yards this way versus 50 yards that way. Um, and I feel like the more topography you get, you start kind of angling those deer on certain ridges and on certain side hills. That one really doesn't have this. Right, right. So you you went out and you started doing some scouting. Um, how long did you let your trail cameras soak before you pulled them? Yep, so four weeks. I'm pretty patient on it. I, I, I go check them. I, I let them sit a month. I, they basically sat from the middle of August to when I got back from elk hunting was exactly when they sat, actually. And so I got back from elk hunting, and I pulled them and had the, okay, there's quality deer here. Now, how do I want to hunt it? Where do I want to hunt it? When do I want to hunt it? Um, and immediately, it's like there's no food source. So I, I kind of had the thought we're talking about where October is a little bit out. Um, it's going to be more of a rut stand. It's more of a, I could catch deer coming from other properties. And then I assume my deer are going to follow this Creek to some degree to move from the East side to the West side of the property. And that's, that's what ended up being true. Um, and so I just kind of quickly ruled out that outside of, I did sit there one time in October and I tried to sit like 35 feet high and just watch um, from a, a ways away where I knew I, wouldn't really kill a deer but i just wanted to see if i could see anything and i didn't see anything so it didn't help me at all but it ended up basically playing out how i thought you just 
you got to wait till it gets to the good time that that first week or two of November with how this farm is set for deer to move through it. Right, right. So you check your trail cameras. You found out you had some some decent shooters on it, and you know you went on yep. your. Uh, so how you said four no brainers on that property? How many acres is it? Uh, well, see, it, it's it's about two hundred, but only like. I'd say I'm hunting like 60 of it. Okay. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's weird because it's got all this dead short grass that used to be farmed. Um, so let's just call it 60 huntable acres. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I always tell people is, you know, it's like I have a collective roughly 1200 acres that I have access to. But of that 1,200 acres, you know, 600 plus of it is ag, and the rest is, you know, fingers and has pastures, you know, cattle and and horses running around in it. So it's probably closer to like a 400 acres of huntable prop of actual huntable property, which is still really good. So did was there one buck that stood out to you on uh, when you yeah. pulled cameras yeah. that was like I want him. Yeah, there was a, a tall eight-pointer that now, knowing what my deer is from a mass perspective, I'm thinking this deer has to be eight-inch bases. I mean, the bigger, I mean, just heavy eight-pointer. And this is the one that's spooked on the ground and super heavy with a kicker and big, tall brows. I mean, he's probably 170-something inches as an eight-pointer, just so heavy. And just one of those racks that looked like if he touched any other deer's rack, he would just snap it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was the no-brainer. And then there was some that were real quality. I mean, I, I'm i not – I mean, I, like everybody, I'm somewhat of a score guy. But I, I like shooting – I've got definitely an affinity for heavy deer, and I definitely like older deer in general. And there's a lot of – old heavy 140 inch eight pointers that will never walk by me they're never going to score 170 but i just uh, i'll kill them every time um and this this farm had a couple of those one nice clean 10 pointer was probably 160 inch deer maybe mid 60s i don't know um but yeah there was the one stood out though as the oh man like that deer is a beast and velvet and, and what i what i found interesting about him is in general, I find that a lot of my velvet pictures become, I mean, say you have four shooters in velvet. I, I don't think that's uncommon, at least on a lot of the farms I've been on. And then as soon as they go hardhorn, it's like two or three of them disappear and one or two of them kind of become the one that stays there. Yep. And this was, I got this one hardhorned all the time. Um, and so he's there running around and I just haven't been able to, or I wasn't able to get him in front of me um but yeah he he stood out as just the one i if you could circle it that's the one but I, i've never been uh me and my brother were joking i don't know how many times in my life of the deer i've killed or my brother's killed a lot more a lot bigger deer th- than me and it's like i don't know how many times i've circled a buck and i've actually ended up killing that buck um yeah not very many yeah once or twice yeah um and i and i've killed a handful of times bucks i've never even seen before never even gotten a picture of um, yeah. Brent, my buddy, hunted my property last year and killed a beautiful 167-inch deer that no no pictures of it. I mean, it's just a random deer coming through. So I guess I don't – I'm not good enough to set up and kill one deer. But if I had to circle one, 
it was this heavy, heavy bladed tine with kickers eight pointer. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, man, I don't think I've ever, I I'm looking, I'm trying to think of my, my wall right now. And I have never killed my number one target buck. And, and I'm, I'm not to that point in my life yet where I'm only going after one deer. Uh, I, no, you know, I, I got like a, a group of them that are, you know, that I, that I want to shoot or, you know, if the, that bonus buck comes through, but I've never killed a number one, my number one target buck. And yeah. it's always cat and mouse and I've never connected and someday it will be sweet, but it, uh, uh, I don't know. I just haven't done it yet. No, I, I totally agree. And and there's a difference on how me and you, I mean, even with the control you have, or I mean, what would I, I don't know what the acreage is I hunt, but it's, it's a decent chunk. I mean, a couple hundred acres for sure between the couple farms. It's just, if you can't really control every aspect of it, like right. the, Ali Koski does there, I mean, it's just, I think it's really, really hard. Um, and we both have kids. We both have wives that we like seeing occasionally. And so it's, just, <laughs> it's one of those things where, I mean, I've got to pick and choose. I could sit for 30 days and maybe still not kill the target buck. Can I actually, I mean, forgive myself if I let these other ones walk? And I just can't. I like, I, I, I like the whole process of it. I like cleaning them. I like hanging them. I like doing all the meat processing myself. I, I like all of it. So just, two and a half year drought. I mean, I, I like killing deer enough to where I'd love to just wait on the 180, but I, I I'm not at the point where I'm doing that either. <laughs> right. Right. So you are, as far as your, your buck tag here in Iowa, you got that filled. Um, you a shot, do you shotgun hunt at all? Nope. nope. And I really haven't muzzleloader hunted since I was like in, in college. I snuck out in muzzleloader, but I, yeah, I, I might buy a late season muzzle tag and bow hunt on it. Yeah. Um, I've done that a couple times, and but similar to the same reason I don't hunt in October, I don't really hunt in December or January either because I don't have the food source, and so right. it's it's been pretty cold when I've done that, both literally and figuratively. I haven't had much luck, but for twenty seven bucks to be able to go sit two or three times on free weekends or five times or whatever it is, I. I enjoy doing it and I've shot a couple does in the snow that have been fun and the meat's cold and you don't got to rush and all that. So, yeah, that's my, that's my goal. As of right now, I have three doe tags that I've already purchased. Um, one here in my home County and then I go South. I got two, uh, in, in a Southern County that I hunt because I don't know for whoever's listening, doe tags are allocated by County. So once that number is out then doe tags are done you you can't buy anymore but some of the counties that i live in or i shouldn't say the county that i live in and i'm I'm sure you you find this if you don't buy your doe tag right away you're not getting a doe tag in this county Yep. so so i always go to a different county to uh, shoot my does uh and there's just more more availability there less pressure all that stuff so uh i want to fill the freezer uh, a little bit more, but, uh, other than that, man, I, oh, I'm going to South Dakota for one more, one more week. I talked the wife into it and, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think she knows what she's agreed to yet because our kids are, <laughs> you know, are stay at home right now. So we'll see what happens in December, but man, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for South Dakota. Yeah, I would think that time of year you'll, I mean, 
probably on the back end of the rut, but seeing those deer and I I would just assume it has to be easier that time of year. I, like I said, I've got a buddy that rifle hunts out there. Is it rifle season when you're going and you're just taking a bow or? Uh, no rifle season will, will be over by then. So it will be back, back 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 to bow season. So the rifle hunters are doing their thing right now, all the way to like November 29th. So they have the rest of this month yep. to to go out and try to kill, you know, their rifle deer. But then I'm giving it a week of rest, basically, and then I'm going back out. And everybody that I talk to say that they, they you know, you're definitely going to see them, and there's not going to be anybody else out there. Like, you won't run into anybody. Yep. So those are two really good yep. things, and I hope uh, I hope to seal the deal, man. And then after that, it just becomes, you know, stacking those brownie points until until turkey season. Yeah, literally. It's just back to suck-up mode for a couple <laughs> months. And then... Absolutely. It's hard. I mean, it, I, I have a similar feeling to you. Just there's so many we, – we bitch about access and, and tags, and there's certainly that going on. But there's a lot of opportunity out there if you have the time, quite right. frankly. Right. Um, and that's where it gets hard with family and kids and work and just life in general on – how you allocate, when you allocate, what you're going to allocate for. But it, it, yeah, I, I'm jealous for you to, I mean, go chase them with a bow. I've, I've thought about doing that Badlands hunt, which I've heard is a lot of fun. My wife's from North Dakota. I know some guys that go to the Badlands in North Dakota. That's a really easy bow tag to draw, and they do good. They shoot, I mean, really nice muleys. It's not a 220-inch Colorado high country <laughs> one, but it's a... I mean, a beautiful 150, 60-inch muley with a bow, it's pretty cool. And yeah. they're, they're hunting them. I mean, they feel like they're hunting. It's, that's one thing when you go on some of those hunts. I mean, and, and I haven't got into the details of your elk hunt, but I'm assuming with as much as you've kind of got kicked in the teeth, and I've done it a couple times in Montana, unfortunately, it's like you almost feel like you're not hunting. You're just hiking because oh, yeah. there's no action at all. I mean, it's just I'm carrying my bow, but – I haven't even thought about taking an arrow out of my quiver. I it hasn't even crossed my mind yet because right. we haven't seen any game. Right. Um, it's fun to be hunting. Yeah. And that's uh, <laughs> my Colorado trip. Wow, man. The one, very first day we walk into this big drainage and we had a 350. I mean, he was gigantic, gigantic elk, yep. just going nuts right back at us. And then he was with a herd, herd of cows and ran him off and or ran, he ran him off and they, you know, went their way and he followed and we just couldn't catch up to him. He was probably 800 feet higher than us. And uh, so we were, you know, trying to chase him and, you know, we're, we're, we would never catch up to him. And then after that, the last, that last trip was just nothing. I mean, it was, it was yeah. quiet. <laughs> I think we may have heard one bugle the entire rest of that trip. And, uh, it, it, you get to a point where you're just like, okay, wait, what am I, what am I even supposed to be doing right now? I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm doing yeah. right now. I'm just, I'm just looking at yeah. trees. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get it. One, you know, when you read the guys that are real hardcore, I mean, one thing that I have, one, I don't know if you were camping in or not. So every year I've gone, I camp in. And I, I do think that makes a difference when you're out west. And, and my brother always talks about, I'm spoiled. I, I got a dad in Montana, a brother in Wyoming, a brother in Colorado, and a sister in Oregon. So I hear a lot about elk hunting through the season. And 
one thing they always talk about is it's like, you know, a lot of these people will go in and they'll hunt, but nobody stays in there. And, and as me and you were talking about, like, wear and tear, like, when you can stay in there and if you right. can stay in there somewhat comfortably, it really does help. One, sleeping in there at night helps you. I mean, that's if you're in an area where it's tough, if you're ever going to hear bugles, it's going to be in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, and some guys, uh, like Dan Staten, the elk shape guy, I mean, he, he always talks about, like, when he's having a bad hunt, he just goes and starts hiking from midnight to 4 a.m. until he finds where they're bugling. And I think there's a lot of truth to that um, because, you know, if you're around elk, you tend to know him. Um, yeah. You can smell him a lot. They are louder than draft horses. I mean, when they're walking, if they're walking on rocks or through timbers, just you can hear them. They're so loud. And then obviously bugling and blah, 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 whatever you see on TV. But it's just, I feel like you know when you're into them. And if you're wondering if you're into them, you're not into them. Because you, you, you'll just know when you walk through an area that's like, oh, man, like I can smell elk, I can see fresh tracks, and here's poop that's completely warm still. I mean, versus you're trying to justify that the super dry elk poop you're picking up, was this, I think this was yesterday? Or could this have been like a month ago? Like... <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Just, it's hard. It's hard for us flatlanders. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. Well, James, man, hey, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to BS and uh, uh, catch up. And, man, congratulations on your buck this year. And uh, good luck to sucking up and getting those brownie points back. And uh, good luck next year as well, man. <laughs> Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Next time we do this, there's going to be a Coors Light involved. We'll probably have to get 2020 under our belt before we're allowed to do that together. But <laughs> Absolutely. At some point, we'll make the transition to that. And that brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Please go out and subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Tell your friends. I am going to be a little cocky and arrogant here, but I feel that my content on my podcast is probably some of the best out there. I feel that, uh, you know, not coming off of too cocky, but man, I feel like the content on this podcast is very relatable and the average Joe or the guy that, uh, isn't a celebrity or isn't a, you know, a guy who can hunt all the time, you know, we can really relate to this content and the average Joes that I interview, that I BS with, that I interrogate in some instances, um, the way they hunt, how they hunt, how they juggle their life is just like we do. And I, I feel that we can take something away from every single one of these podcasts that might make you a better hunter or make you at least think, man, I never thought of it that way. Maybe I'll give that a try. And then, you know, we have the good old-fashioned BS sessions like this episode as well. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and the Sportsman's Nation on Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, man, that's all I got to say. Have a good one. Oh, wait. I got to do a, I got to do a, uh, I got to whore out and I got to do a sponsor uh, shout-out. So we're going to say a huge shout-out to Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Vortex Optics, Wasp Broadheads, Ozonic, Scent Elimination, Vortex, and I already said that, and The Average Conservationist. Please go out and support those brands because they support this podcast. And, man, gun season, if it's not already happening in your state, it is going to happen here in Iowa. So be safe, get out there, have fun, and we'll talk to you next time. 